Sometimes you just have to let the world catch up to you. Because you're just running running the clock. Well, that that little bit of silence is uh, is good. Silence it, is golden. It is. Yeah. That dead space gives us time to kind of meditate, think about things. I think so. <laughs> Slows things down in this fast-paced world we live in. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we know all about the slowdown game around here. We do it constantly. Uh, I'm, I'm listening in here, and I'm wondering if uh, we've got Susan plugged in. I think maybe not. So we're going to uh, pass that. Clay is over there behind the glass. Uh, that's what we call, we call clay under glass. Clay under that's glass. what we're having for lunch. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have, uh, of course, the roundtable underway here on the Rural Radio Network. First of all, uh, I want to uh, give accolades to all of our Rural Radio Network stations, their coverage of the primary election uh, from last night. A lot of great stuff on all the social media and everything. Great job. It was it was fun. It's always kind of fun to do and to see what happens. And always a couple surprises. Not a lot going on really last night, but uh, uh, it was uh, it's a fun process to be part of. About twenty four, twenty five percent voter turnout. All right, very good. Well, here we are with a look at what is going on in our uh, ag coverage for you today. Among that is the Midwest International Trade Association's. World Trade Conference underway in Omaha today, and one of those speakers is Garrett Workman, who is Director of European Affairs for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. He'll be providing us a trade policy update from Washington, D.C.'s perspective. And also today on Midday, we learn more about a story of, well, maybe it's too good to be true. After buying what appeared as an inexpensive wind and hail insurance option, farmers are now getting notices in the mail that the insurance has been canceled. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. And uh, Bruce Ramsey of the Nebraska Department of Insurance is going to give us the current information in that case to see if you might end up being involved with that. Let's move to sports here, and that's Jason Jorgensen. Talk some NBA. The Rockets tonight try to bounce back at home against Golden State and square up that series at a game piece. Uh, LeBron James, big game last night for the Cavs, 42 points, but hard to win by yourself <laughs> and that's all that's what he was trying to do but it wasn't happening found that out last night as the celtics go up two games to none also as the the only san diego padre fan i've ever met in my life that would be scott scott foster ladies and gentlemen thank you, thank you, thank you. people i don't know if they know this or not but san diego is the only major league team without a no hitter they played 7858 games since their expansion in 1969 they almost had a no-hitter last night. They took it in a seven and a third and, and against a former Rocky to boot. But uh, they also, by the way, should add, not only are, have they not have a no-hitter, they've been no-hit more times than any other team in baseball. Too. Leave wow. it to the Padres. Well, and, and leave it to, time. you know, I, I know that he was trying his darndest to not jinx it. And I came over and told you. Yeah, you did. Oh, See, yeah. that was the problem. So it was my fault. Yeah. Also, we know that national champion Alabama will face Louisville at ABC's first Saturday night football game. Miami will take on LSU as those schedules are starting to come out. Scott Foster on business. Very good. Stocks are higher in midday trading as gains in health care companies and retailers outweigh losses in banks and utilities. We're seeing consumer goods companies also rose a little bit today. Energy stocks are kind of the ones fallen behind as crude oil prices are finally declining a little bit. Dow Jones Industrial Average edged up about 7 points. NASDAQ Composite increased 25 points. Some modest improvements, but still improvements. All this and a lot more detail coming up for you on Midday. 
Paul Perkins joins us for our regional ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Just a beautiful day out there, really warming up on those temperatures and hardly any wind in most areas. Yeah, we're really enjoying it. We have had a better week than we thought we were going to have at this time last week. And uh, But then again, <laughs> when, when do we pay for it? Beginning about Thursday night into the weekend, right? Exactly. If you are able to get in the field uh, today and tomorrow, you may want to go like gangbusters, get things wrapped up because we are looking at the potential for likely chance of thunderstorms Thursday night on into uh, tomorrow night into Friday, especially Friday night, and a lot of areas could see some good-sized rains. Right now, our temperature is pretty much in the mid to upper 70s across the area. We are as warm as 80 at Wahoo, but still some low in mid-60s on into the Nebraska Panhandle. Today, we'll continue to be sunny and unseasonably warm. Mainly light south winds off an area of low pressure just to our west. Daytime heating expected to set off to some scattered thunderstorms across the sand hills this afternoon that then track towards the east. Multiple rounds of thunderstorms are possible, though, for tomorrow night into Saturday. Some of those could be on the strong to severe side, especially in central areas for Friday night. Tomorrow we should remain warmer than normal and mostly dry with some steady south winds. Those winds will be increasing as that area of low pressure strengthens off to our west and gets closer. Severe weather expected mainly in western Nebraska late in the day tomorrow as the front gets dragged across the central plains. Those storms expected to start in the west late tomorrow then arrive in central areas later tomorrow night. And since those storms will be starting up in western locations late tomorrow during the peak heating of the day, that's where the main threat for severe weather will be. We could see still some strong to severe thunderstorms in central areas later tonight, but or tomorrow night, but right now that threat is not as great. Quarter-sized hill, and if we do see any... Uh, if we do see any uh, severe thunderstorms, some quarter-sized hail and gusty winds will be the main threats. Some leftover thunderstorms could last into the mid-morning on Friday. Otherwise, thunderstorms are likely again for Friday night and Saturday as that main area of low pressure arrives. Friday, there's a slight risk of severe storms across central and west areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Large hail and damaging winds will be the main threats. Occasional rain and thunderstorms remain likely into Saturday as that severe threat starts to move more towards the southeast. With this system, the multiple rounds of thunderstorms, we could see rain amounts total one to two and a half inches from tomorrow night into Saturday night. High pressure begins to clear the sky out for Sunday with some cooler air moving in. Temperatures, though, more seasonal for Monday and Tuesday. The cool down not going to last long. In our long-term forecast, a high likelihood that Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. warmer than normal on temperatures for Monday through the day after Memorial Day on May 29th. Even though it will be warm, Nebraska and Kansas are expected to see slightly above normal for rainfall Monday through the May 29th. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning, as cool as the low to mid-50s along and north of the line from Norfolk to Broken Bow and Ogallala. The rest of Nebraska and northern Kansas with soil temperatures in the upper 50s to low 60s, the warmest soil temperatures in the mid to upper 60s to the south of I-70. Weather factors impacting the markets include mild temperatures with periods of rain benefiting the Midwest crops and developing rain in central Brazil. Dry weather across the upper Midwest helping to make significant progress in areas where planting was significantly delayed. Minnesota planting progress for both corn and soybeans right now at least 25 percentage points behind the five-year average, but they are starting to catch up. Showers will prevail in the plains and upper Midwest with one to three inches possible in some areas. In most areas of the Midwest, planting delays really not much of a concern since eastern areas are ahead of schedule and western areas are continuing to catch up. 
Rain across the northern plains the next few days will be mostly favorable and help with crop development. Central Brazil will see light to moderate rain through the end of the week. That rain needed for the second crop corn already expected to be lower in production than last year because of heat and dryness. Ag Weather Outlook brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. And so next couple of days, good opportunity to get that grass down because we're going to get our real drenching in some areas, looks like, for the weekend. Yeah, especially at uh, starting up tomorrow night across our area, but really so as we head towards Friday night into Saturday. All right. And we will remind you that you got all kinds of weather information coming in on your app. We've got it online and, uh, of course, when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. makes its way to the House Rules Committee. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at Ag News. Today, the House Agriculture Committee Chairman Michael Conway offered remarks before the House Rules Committee regarding the 2018 Farm Bill in a hearing, and he immediately addressed the issues coming up from both sides of the aisle. I know that the process has become partisan, and that's unfortunate. That said, the ranking member and I did work very closely together in crafting the lion's share of the Farm Bill, and I greatly appreciate his contributions. Ultimately, the committee reached an impasse over the nutrition title, primarily over the question of whether work-capable adults should be uh, work or get free training for 20 hours per week, per week to be eligible for, for SNAP benefits. I respect the views of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle on this question, even though I do not share their conclusions. I believe that the best measure of SNAP, <coughs> success for SNAP is how many people on the program can help land a better job that puts food on their table, a roof over their heads, and a better, brighter future for them and their families. And providing faith in the dignity of work and the promise of a better life that work brings to people. I know my friends on the other side of the aisle feel as passionate about this topic as I do, although from a much different perspective. I hope that members on both sides of the aisle, including me, can learn from each other this week as we debate this issue. Outside of SNAP, I want to underscore to this committee just how important passage of the Farm Bill is right now. We're in the midst of a five-year recession in agriculture. Farmers and ranchers have seen net income drop by 52%. This is among the steepest declines in net farm income since the Depression. The House version of the Farm Bill could come to the floor as soon as this afternoon. And also coming out of Washington, hearings are underway on a proposed list of Chinese products that U.S. has targeted with 25% tariff. The three-day event features testimony from more than 100 witnesses. One of those testifying is farmer Michelle Erickson-Jones, a member of Farmers for Free Trade, who says the U.S. farm community is already feeling the effects of the threatened tariff response by China. The Montana rancher says the market interruptions can dis- devastate ag prices and drive U.S. farmers out of business. The hearings come as the U.S. and China are discussing a potential agreement that would soften China's tariff stance on U.S. agriculture products. The administration over the weekend hinted lifting an export ban on China's ZTE, a smartphone maker, as part of the talks that are ongoing this week in exchange for status quo agricultural trade. A delegation from China is visiting with U.S. trade officials in D.C. in a possible effort to avoid a trade war. And with the U.S. being the world's largest poultry producer and the second largest poultry meat exporter, the demand for global education and training for professionals from other countries who are major U.S. commodity buyers has exponentially grown. This was evident for participants who attended the U.S. Soybean Export Council Japan Poultry Nutrition Course held last week at the IGP Institute Conference Center. The training hosted eight participants from Japan who work in a wide range of positions within the poultry industry, including for technical magazine editor, poultry feed research, and broiler farm management. 
I really enjoyed learning about poultry nutrition in the course, said a feed researcher in Japan. All of the information taught will help me in my research and learning the poultry nutrition formulas was very interesting. The topics covered in the training included broiler breeder nutrition and management, ideal amino acid profile and requirements for broilers and layers, maximizing the use of energy in poultry diets using basic concepts in nutrition and management, digestive tract structure integrity and efficiency, soybean production in in the U.S., feeding laying hens under heat stress and stressful conditions, quality control in a feed mill, and feeding and managing broiler breeders to help solve problems. Again, keep up to date with all of our ag news, audio, and video, as well as updated market information anytime by visiting RuralRadio.com. That's a look at your ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time again this week to get our BASF update here on a Wednesday midday. We visit this week here again with Brady Kapler, BASF Technical Service Representative. Brady, we spoke to you two weeks ago, and a lot has happened since then. Then most of the corn is in the ground. Soybeans are well on their way. Got a little shot of rain. Give us a planting progress update as we head into the second half of May here already. Well, you you said it pretty much right there. Corn is wrapping up. We're in the final stages. I mean, obviously a few fields here and there. Maybe some rain pushed some people out, but guys are getting real close on being done with corn. We can just plant so many acres in a day. Beans are well on their way, um, and uh, you know we're probably uh, three quarters of the way done with that, if not a little bit more in in a lot of areas. And there may be a pocket or two where we're a little bit behind that, but uh, things are progressing well. And uh, the weather this week looks like it's conducive after some moisture over the weekend looks like it's conducive to getting back in the fields and getting some stuff done yes and you talked about that rain coming in over the weekend and although causing some delays for producers much needed for several areas so we get the rain now we've got the sunshine and with that we start to see the corn pop up out of the ground love to see emergence but along with that can also come several issues weed control all sorts of stuff that producers are really having to start thinking about Exactly. No, we, yeah, we're seeing some corn pretty strongly. A lot of fields we can row it very easily now. Some are even moving to two, three leaf stages in some paces for the earlier planted. Beans are just starting to pop. Uh, but as you mentioned, the concern we have now is is that uh, weeds are going to come with those. And if we had, you know, been pinched on our planting time and maybe didn't have a chance to get herbicide down on those, we're looking at options for what we can do. And so products that uh, fit real well, like in corn that's emerged, is Armazon Pro. Um, using that with a little bit of atrazine can go down in the early stages and help us with get some get some weeds and, and you know there's options we can add if we need a little bit more burn down and then um, on the bean side um, we you know can run not only can we run a burn down uh, to try to catch up with some glyphosate or something if we missed it but we can start laying residuals out there too as well and so options like Outlook and Zidua uh, become very uh, important in the early emerged stage of soybeans if they don't have any residual with them yes never slowing down that is for sure and so the next time we visit here with you brady we will be wrapped up with planning and really jumping into the thick of the 2018 growing season just because planting is wrapped up doesn't mean anything really slows down that much for producers what are some of the things on the radar as we move into the rest of the season here 
Yes, exactly. Once we get planning wrapped up, then we've got to switch right back and go back to those fields we started with and see how they're doing. Um, you know, did we? We've also had a lot of dry weather, so we may not have herbicides activated. So that would be important to make sure that we're getting activity there. If we don't have a herbicide that's activated, then you know, and it's been three, four weeks, then we need to be thinking about, hey, what's our other options out there? Can we come out here, burn down, layer in more residual um, to help us uh, maintain those weeds and hold them back? And so, scouting and checking what's going on because uh, once these things get out of the ground, they're going to grow pretty fast. Looks like we've got some forecasts for some fairly warm temperatures, and so we anticipate fast growing conditions and things can get away from us. Even if we had a residual down, it may be time in just a week or two to think about refreshing that residual and continue to extend it. It's Brady Kapler, Technical Service Representative for BASF. You can tune in every Wednesday to catch an update throughout the growing season. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jordan. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Houston Rockets were trying to bounce back from Monday's last to Golden State when they host Game 2 of the NBA's Western Conference Finals. In that matchup, the Rockets coughed up the ball 13 times, and head coach Mike D'Antoni says, I've got a lot to defend. They're going to make shots, Kevin Durant and Curry, and, and they're good. So they're going to make it. Our, we, our head can't explode that they go one-on-one and they make shots like I'm sure that doesn't, you know, James does the same thing, or Chris. So you have to be able to absorb some of their greatness. At the same time, don't make the mental errors that we did. And that would accumulate for, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 points. The Warriors say they can't let up after opening a playoff series on the road for the first time since 2014. Right-hander Joran Lyles came within five outs of the first perfect game in Padres history before allowing a single to Trevor Story in the eighth inning, the Padres' 4-0 win. Lyles had just been moved into the rotation. Last week, he started the game by retiring the first 22 batters he faced. San Diego is still the only major league team without a no-hitter. They've played 7,858 games since their expansion season of 1969. In college football, national champion Alabama will face off against Louisville in ABC's first Saturday night football game. And Miami plays LSU on Sunday night of the season opening weekend. ESPN announced today its schedule for the first three weeks of the Saturday night games. In week two, Penn State will face Pittsburgh in that ABC Saturday night game, while Ohio State faces TCU at Arlington, Texas the following Saturday night. Well, the Royals and Storm Chasers announced today that the clubs will try to play an exhibition game at Warner Park in Omaha next March. That game is tentatively set for March 25th. The game will be prior to the start of the 2019 regular season for both clubs. Of course, the two teams were scheduled to play this past March, but the game that night was postponed due to frigid weather. Well, the Buffalo Bills plan to retire Hall of Fame running back Thurman Thomas's number 34 jersey on October 29th when they host the New England Patriots. Thomas will become the third player to have his number retired. Of course, he was a five-time Pro Bowl selection. He played for the Bills from 1988 through 1999 and was a part of four straight AFC Championship teams. He spent his final season with the Miami Dolphins. Now, he was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame back in 2007. And in hockey, the Jets head to Vegas tonight for Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals. The Golden Knights won Game 2 in Winnipeg to even up that series at a game apiece. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Clear skies tonight, lows in the 50s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Aurora businessman Kirk Penner campaigned for Nebraska 3rd District Congressional seat that Adrian Smith has held for the past 12 years, but fell in the primary yesterday. Penner offers his thoughts on his campaign. You know, we ran a great campaign. I'm a political unknown. And to grab 20,000 votes in the 3rd District, I think that's a testament to the race that we did run. We worked the entire 3rd District, and the counties that know me, we did very well. We did very well in Grand Island. Actually, one Hall County in York County, we just got beat by 10 votes. Here in Hamilton County, obviously, we won. But it's a name recognition game. Mr. Smith is a six-term incumbent, and we will uh, put this down as an experience and and see how we move from here. Smith won the primary with 65% of the vote. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts cruised to victory in the Republican primary for governor, setting himself up for a general election where he'll be a heavy favorite in the GOP-dominated state. Ricketts easily fended off medical marijuana activist Crystal Gable in the Republican race. He'll face State Senator Bob Christ of Omaha, who defeated fellow Democrats Tyler Davis and Vanessa Ward in the statewide primary. As the executive director of the Nebraska Republican Party, Kenny Zoller says that even though Nebraska is usually a slam dunk for Republicans, the party doesn't take the state for granted. You know, they understand that, that Nebraska is a Republican state and uh, and we're kind of a Republican stronghold. So um, they, they really want to come to us and make sure that, uh, that they're hearing what Republicans on the ground here in Nebraska uh, uh, want uh, on issues. And, and, and they're also very uh, receptive to... Uh, kind of uh, us at the state party telling them, hey, you know, this is what we're seeing on the ground. Maybe we should do this. And 90 of Nebraska's 93 counties have a majority of registered voters that are affiliated with the Republican Party. Democratic candidate Joshua Swati has picked a former Army helicopter pilot and current local school board member as his running mate in the Kansas governor's race. Swati introduced Katrina Lewison of Manhattan as his choice for lieutenant governor as he kicked off a two-day tour at the Kansas State House. Lewison served in the Army for 15 years and rose to the rank of major. She led a helicopter platoon in Iraq and an aviation company in South Korea. She is director of a company providing communication software to local governments and was elected to Manhattan's school board last year. Storm Center coverage, always live and local. Catch it on air, on Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Bryce Dusky reporting on the Rural Radio Network in Omaha, Nebraska at the Midwest International Trade Association 2018 World Trade Conference. I'm standing here with Garrett Workman. He's the Director of European Affairs with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in Washington, D.C. Now, Garrett, you gave a presentation really overviewing the current status of trade in America and with our foreign partners. Let's kind of backtrack and talk about a few of those. We'll start with NAFTA. We've got a lot to lose if NAFTA does go through, especially for Nebraska. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is these are our two largest trading partners. We have uh, have had this agreement for 24 years, especially in agriculture. You know, our our exporters depend on these two markets. We we depend on being a responsible and predictable supplier. Um, they're good buyers of our goods, clearly, and we are concerned that if w- these negotiations go poorly, especially if we were to withdraw, that a lot of jobs and a lot of exports would be at risk, especially in states like here in Nebraska. One thing I thought was interesting that uh, we haven't covered a lot is, has to do with the Sunset Clause. That's one of the things the Trump administration is really pushing. Uh, talk about the Sunset Clause and the negative effects that would have for businesses like those here at this conference today. Yeah, I think that's actually maybe the single most problematic um, 
proposal that they've made in these negotiations. I mean, if you think about it, a company needs certainty. That's what trade agreements provide. You know, you you know what the terms of trade are going to be with these partners when you sign an agreement. So if we were to add this provision that basically says in five years, if a new U.S. or Canadian or Mexican government decides that we don't want this agreement anymore and it goes away, we basically have into, we've we've just inserted more uncertainty. You know, especially as we're asking companies to change the way they produce, the way they uh, get their products to be compliant with the agreement. If we then say, well, we might pull out the rug from underneath you in five years, like it's going to make it actually even more difficult. Um, for companies. It's going to make North America a less competitive place to do business. Also, in your presentation, you mentioned this looming deadline actually is coming up tomorrow. Speaker Paul Ryan has set that deadline as the administration must put something forward if they want this Congress to vote on that. But you mentioned that Democrats probably wouldn't vote for NAFTA at this point anyways. Why is that? Well, I think, you know, I, I probably was overly generalizing. There are obviously some Democrats who support trade. The, the bigger problem is that if we rely on the opposition party in a uh, election year to give the president, who's, let's be honest, not the most popular politician in the United States right now, if we give them a reason to vote against him uh, and keep him from getting a win in a, in a policy which could have a big impact on the election, it could be pretty problematic for the ultimate vote on NAFTA. And so I think we, we want to be careful in that we need a NAFTA that works for all of America. We need a NAFTA that works for our companies, for our workers, for our consumers. And that needs to be done in partnership with Congress. And my concern is that we haven't been, uh, the, the administration hasn't been talking enough to Congress or to you know the governors or to the voters um, about what their goals are and how it could help business. And we're concerned that it would actually maybe do the opposite. Another large trading partner that our agriculture community in particular has been keeping an eye on is China. We export a lot of soybeans in particular to China, especially here in Nebraska. There's been some talk, uh, some recent meetings with China. What are your thoughts on the, on the conversations? We saw the back and forth, but now we're kind of talking to each other. What are your thoughts on that as it stands today? Well, of course, dialogue is always good, right? This is a very large, it's probably the second largest economy in the world now. It's one of our largest trading partners. It's one of our largest agricultural destinations. You know, we have real issues in China. Like, China doesn't treat American companies fairly in a lot of ways or other international investors. There are challenges that we'd like to address, but we'd like to do those, you know, in partnership. We want to convince the Chinese of why um, some of the things they're doing on intellectual property or technology, forced technology transfers are not the way to go. We want to work with them to develop a better, uh, more integrated economy. Uh, and we want to ensure that, you know, People like agriculture experts in Nebraska aren't caught in the crossfire. So dialogue is good. Um, I would, you know, we're a little bit uh, skeptical about how much progress can really be done in that short of a time frame. Um, but but we don't want to like threaten our partners with tariffs on steel and aluminum, for example, at the same time as we're asking for them to help us on China. So we really need to take a step back and work better with our allies and our, and our partners to convince China of a, of a better way of doing business. I want to finally end on, on this topic of while the U.S. has been caught up in a lot of trade uh, discussions since the Trump administration took office, what's happening with other countries? Yeah, so, I mean, the rest of the world is definitely not waiting around for us. Um, we had negotiated something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership with 11 other countries across the Pacific Ocean and Latin America and in Asia. And, on you know, the Trump administration made the decision to withdraw. But the other 11 countries went ahead and are implementing that agreement. Um, recently, the European Union signed a deal with 
with Canada. They've also had a new F- uh, free trade agreement with Japan and updated their existing one with Mexico. So all these countries that we are sort of antagonizing in a way, the rest of the world is signing trade agreements with. And those agreements may or may not help American companies. In fact, we're not, we're not at the table while the rules are being set. And so we need to get, we need to get back to the table. We need to do a better job of, of expanding U.S. export opportunities rather than, um, you know, making changes that might actually make our current agreements less effective. A lot of trade news. We appreciate you helping dissect some of this news. Uh, We've been talking with Garrett Workman. He's the Director of European Affairs for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Reporting at Omaha, Nebraska at the Midwest International Trade Association World Trade Conference, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. Time for a market update on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. As we start to end end toward the end of the trading day kansas city and chicago wheat starting to turn back around towards the green side beans making new lows and july front month starting to dip but below ten dollars still triple digit losses in the livestock and lean hogs they are firming back up to the green side july corn now at 399 even down three and a quarter september 407 and a quarter also down three and a quarter december 416 and a half down two and three quarters march 425 even down two and a quarter july soybeans now at 999 and a quarter down 19 and a half August at 10.03 even down 19 September at 10.05 and a half down 17 and a quarter November 10.09 even down 15 and three quarters July Chicago wheat 4.93 and three quarters up a quarter September 5.09 and three quarters unchanged December 5.31 and a quarter down a quarter July Kansas City wheat 5.12 and a quarter up two and a half September 5.30 and three quarters up two and a quarter December 5.57 even up two and a quarter in the livestock trade June live cattle settling at a buck one 182 down a dollar 15 August at 9905 down a dollar 35 October at a buck 230 down a dollar 45 December at a buck 762 down 97 August feeder cattle settling at a buck 3672 down a dollar 72 September at a buck 3737 down a dollar 57 October at a buck 3822 down a dollar 37 November at a buck 3912 down a dollar 15 Lane Hogs June 7590 up a dollar 17 July 7872 up a dollar 2 August at 7785 up 40 October at 6362 up 37 In the outside markets the Dow Jones Industrial Average now up 92 points at 24798 the Nasdaq up 55 at 7,407, and the S&P up 17 at 2,726. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. What if you could sell your grain at a higher price in less time? I'm Brandon Turner, and I created Farm Lead because I wanted a better and easier way to market grain on my family farm. Farm Lead is the fastest-growing grain marketplace in North America, and over 100 million bushels of grain have been successfully negotiated through FarmLead.com. What's wrong with shopping around for a better grain price? Find new buyers for your grain today at FarmLead.com. That's F-A-R-M-L-E-A-D.com. Farm Lead, the grain marketplace built by farmers for farmers. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you a chance to ask the experts your marketing questions. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast each trading day as we dig deeper into the factors shaping the day's market activity. Tweet your questions to RRN Markets and catch The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast updated each weekday afternoon at ruralradio.com. You can also search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in. 
Clay Patton back on the Rural Radio Network with a check of closing livestock futures with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. And Joe, they made an early run in the day, but they in triple-digit losses. Cattle, bad. Yeah, it was a tough day. Uh, yeah, we got some short covering uh, and on expectations that maybe we see the uh, Packers uh, uh, step up and buy cattle, but uh, that didn't happen. And uh, then you throw in the uh, cutouts at noon being down, and oops, that uh, put a little pressure on. As a matter of fact, Packers uh, showed no interest whatsoever, passed on uh, some offers, uh, and showed no inclination uh, in uh, buying any uh, inventory. So that really uh, then uh, we cavalcated down to uh, uh, these triple-digit losses. And it happened with the uh, cattle and the feeder cattle. So uh, another uh, tough day. Uh, and it looks like maybe we're uh, right on the precipice of this wall of cattle that everybody's been talking about. The uh, hogs, though, they perform pretty well. Uh, cash seems to be very firm uh, at this point. Cutouts uh, holding in there and uh, product movement pretty good. And uh, we had triple-digit gains out of the out of the hogs. So kind of a, a study in contrast today, hogs higher and cattle lower. That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, joining us for more information and talk with Joe. Give him a call, 1-800-328-0134. Again, talking with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. And on the settlements of the livestock numbers today, it is mixed with cattle. Triple-digit losses, hogs, a lot of the front contracts ending in triple-digit gains. You can always find more market news and market information at RuralRadio.com. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. Producers may have lost their wind and hail coverage in an interesting insurance scenario. We find out more here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. To bring us more information on this, I'm talking with Bruce Ramsey, Director of the Nebraska Department of Insurance. Bruce, thank you for coming on and talking to us. Kind of talk to us about the situation that some producers find themselves in. Uh, a few have even received letters that the what they thought they had gotten a great deal on on wind and hail insurance doesn't look like it may be such a great deal now. Yeah, thank you for reaching out, Clay. That's correct. We first learned of this uh, problem on uh, Thursday uh, late afternoon, and uh, we did a little research and found out that uh, the companies involved were Crop Pro, uh, which is a managing general agent for Guide One uh, from Iowa. And we contacted both the company and uh, the uh, MGA and expressed our uh, concern about what uh, information was being sent our way. And in spite of uh, everything, the company decided to proceed with sending out cancellation notices. We cons- consider this a very serious matter and we have an ongoing review of the issue. In the meantime, for those who have received letters, we encourage them to work with their insurance agent to see if they can secure coverage elsewhere. Overall, what are the important things producers need to know? What paperwork do they need to go through and look at right now to and maybe talk to insurance agents to know if they're covered? Basically, the the letter that they uh, received and uh, any other uh, correspondence that they might have got from their agency or from uh, Crop Pro itself, and uh, hopefully their insurance agent will have the original application. 
Bruce, several of the producers I've talked to that have seen this letter said that it has a 60-day cancellation clause in it, and if that holds true, that puts them out to July. Their main question is, is who pays the premium for that downtime? As well, what happens if there's a claim during that time frame? The claim should be covered uh, within that time period. In terms of the uh, premium that might be owed uh, and by whom, uh, we have not heard from the company what position they are going to take on that. So uh, that's a good question to ask their agent. And is this a situation where if the producer has lost the coverage through this program, can they go to another agent and uh, secure other insurance, or or are they kind of left out hanging for a little bit? They they certainly can. I think some uh, farmers and, uh, and ag producers might have even changed agents in order to get this cheaper coverage this year so they they should be welcome to talk uh, to the person that they normally get their insurance from and bruce final question for producers for future reference when they're shopping insurance options and they're learning more about this what are things they need to look for and what questions do they need to ask basically everything you know work with someone you know and trust evidently this was a uh, a one-off situation. We hope to never see it happen again, and we will do our part to work with the company so that it does not happen again. But uh, again, most crop insurance agents have a, a good handle on which companies are well-respected and have experience in the crop insurance field. That again, Bruce Ramsey, Director of the Nebraska Department of Insurance, filling us in on this developing story about wind and hail coverage being dropped by Crop Insurance Solutions and Crop Pro Insurance. We'll continue to keep you updated right here on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. John, as we take a look here towards the closing screen, uh, soybeans, the big downside leader today, bringing corn with it, but wheat able to return back to the green side. Yeah, really wacky day. I, I, I mean, I, I don't see the difference big in, in what's going on with the markets in the last three days and why corn would be lower. I think you just got profit-taking uh, from the move. Obviously, you know, almost pushing to 405 this morning, July. And then some product looking to sell there. Uh, corn, in my opinion, is pretty steady here. The soybeans, though, are, uh, you know, very very open to political risk here in the short term, and that's unpredictable. And, you know, right now today is a negative day. Uh, the bipolar of, of these negotiations is uh, is something that's very difficult. So my advice to guys is try to stay out of the market right now, especially in soybeans. I don't think you make any panic sales. I don't think you need to be doing anything short. You know, if you got some old crop that you need to move by July delivery, maybe you maybe you do price it and buy some calls to try to replace it. But um, I, I think staying away from the trade at this point is probably the better play. Uh, I think selling here will be a mistake a couple months down the road. And at this point. Um, Nobody has a clue on how this stuff's going to work out. I think as of the moment, uh, the attitude is that maybe China's going to walk away from the table here at the end of the week and, and have tariffs set in, so you got the selling ahead of it. If that would be reversed and we get some sort of NAFTA agreement or some sort of NAFTA stead that uh, you know keeps policies in place, markets will easily rally. So I, I'd be very careful here to get too short or too long one way or direction, especially with the momentum. Yesterday being kind of a risk-off day towards the equities. Today we kind of see that reverse and a little bit more strength in the U.S. dollar. That's pushing on the Brazilian real. Does that look for more long-term effects against our grains? 
Well, yeah, I think it affects soybeans. It's going to affect uh, really the beef markets, too. I, I know you probably talked to some livestock guys that uh, have seen the markets liquidate here, and that, that could be part of it. You know, those currencies down there, we talked about Russia in the past and how we've lost market share to them over the last, really, four years as the Russian ruble has just collapsed. Uh, that is happening in corn, and it's going to happen in soybeans. The difference, big difference is they don't have the supply on corn to really compete with us anyway. So even if their currencies get weaker, they don't have the supply to come to the market like the U.S. does. So we'll be able to low, we'll really lowball them, in my opinion, probably for the next 12 months. So I think corn is a buy on breaks. I think beans, you got to be a little careful here, given that the, the China story is more dominant there. And then in wheat, uh, I think it's a sell. I think you've got, um, you know, be very careful here. I look at new crop prices and where they are relative to where, uh, you know, the rest of the world's going to be offering. I think I think we've seen the last of 560 for now. I think as you get into the, the fall, maybe we get some rally action, but it's not looking good right now. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing. Find more information at danielsagmarketing.com.